We are going to be in Mark chapter 14 this morning. And this morning we are, are going to be dealing with prayer. And really the next three weeks we're going to uh, be, be really looking at prayer because prayer, prayer is one of those things that I think anybody who um, claims to follow Jesus at all would say is incredibly important. Like if we put a list of things up on the, on the screens and said, hey, um, rank these things in order of importance, and prayer is one of those things, we would all say it is incredibly important. But it's also this interesting thing that almost no one says that they feel like they do it well. And so it's this thing that we both say is incredibly vital and important, but most of us would say that we struggle most of us would believe that our prayer lives could be better or should be better. Most people that I talk to read prayers in scripture and think, ah, that, that doesn't describe my, my prayer life. Many people, when I ask them, would, would describe their prayer life as maybe dry or ineffective or um, just kind of repetitive. And then, I just want to say this morning and over the next couple of weeks, it doesn't have to be that way. That isn't the kind of prayer life that God um, has offered us. And so what I want to do is, is over the next few weeks, I want to look at how our view of God affects our prayers and what can we learn from this whole interaction in Gethsemane and Je through Jesus' arrest. What can we learn from that and how can that change our prayer life? So we'll talk about today the, the heart of prayer by looking at the prayer of Jesus in Gethsemane. Next week we'll, we'll look more uh, at the importance of prayer as we look at the, the call of the disciples to pray. And then we'll look at the content of our prayer as we look at the arrest of Jesus. So with that as the introduction, let's pray. Father, we know that we have access to you through Jesus Christ. Those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus, who have received the forgiveness of sins, who have surrendered our lives to you, Lord Jesus, as our Lord and Savior, that for those we are called your children, your sons and your daughters, and we approach your throne boldly with confidence knowing that you care for us. But God, for so many of us, our prayer lives have become cold. God, I pray you would fan the flame of prayer that you have given us, that, that it is this powerful thing that you have offered to us, the ability to connect with you at a heart level. God, I pray this morning that through your work, hearts would change and be turned to you. God, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. 
And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. This, this prayer of Jesus, at first blush, can feel a little difficult and uncomfortable. Because it looks like Jesus is saying, okay, God, I changed my mind. I don't want to do this anymore. I know you've been working since the beginning of all creation to bring us to this point, And I have worked with you, alongside of you, with you to do this with the Spirit and, and now. But we're, we're at this point and I don't want to. It can look like that as he says, remove this cup from me. Let this pass from me. I mean, you see this scene. Imagine walking with Jesus through this garden as he tells his disciples, I am sorrowful to the point of death. This is a deep, gut-wrenching grief and anguish. And I think one of the reasons why we struggle to see Jesus like this is because we never see him like this in any other part of the Gospels. We always see him as calm and authoritative. When the winds come up and the storms threaten to overtake them, he is calm and he speaks clearly. When the authorities challenge him and try to corner him and arrest him, he is calm and authoritative. He never panics. He never freaks out. He is always in control. And here, we see him staggering through this garden. Struggling under the weight of what is to come. We see him sorrowful to the point of death. We see him collapse under the weight of this and pray that God would remove this cup from him. I mean, even in the desert when he is tempted by Satan and has gone without food for 40 days, we don't see this kind of grief. Many theologians and scholars have pointed out that many heroes throughout human history have faced death with seemingly more strength and dignity than Jesus shows here. So what's going on? Is Jesus having a a, a mental breakdown? Has he lost his courage? Is he doubting God's plan? Well, no, I don't think so. In fact, I, I know he's not. But let's look at why. First, we have to ask the question, what is he praying? What is this cup that he asks to have passed from him? What is he talking about this? What is he talking about in this? What is this cup? And this cup is not the cup of physical suffering that he is about to endure. The imagery of the cup is very clear. And we've talked about this before, you know, I don't remember how long ago, where we kind of unpacked through scripture what the cup was. But the cup as symbol, as symbolic in all of Scripture, is the cup of wrath. Is the cup of God's wrath against sin. We see that in so many different places. In Jeremiah 25, it says, Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath, 
and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. In Isaiah 51, he says, Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. And even in Revelation 14, an angel speaks and says, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And so we can't look at this prayer without understanding, at least in some context, the wrath of God, what Jesus is actually talking about when he asks for this cup to pass from him. That this is not a cup of just suffering, of physical um, abuse that he is going to endure. It is the cup of God's wrath. And that is a hard subject, and I wish uh, it deserves uh, an entire sermon, but I don't, I don't have that luxury right now. And so I do want to point out that it's important to understand a little bit about God's wrath. And, and it's not wrath like you and I would talk about wrath. Like if you and I talk about wrath, we would, we would see that as just extreme uncontrolled anger. Like we're talking about human wrath. That's usually kind of what we're talking about. And that's not who God is. God is not, by character, a wrathful God. He is a holy God. Wrath is the right response for a God who is perfectly holy and perfectly loving. When you think about it, the, the response of wrath against sin and the destruction that it brings both to his creation, to the entire creation, both human and non-human creation, his only response for a God who actually loves his creation is wrath. It is anger. When something or someone you love is threatened or harmed, it makes you angry. If it didn't, then you couldn't call that love. If, if someone you claim to love was harmed and you had no anger, that would be indifference. And you cannot love someone and be indifferent towards them. And so we should expect that when there is destruction brought to the creation that God loves so fully and purely that there is going to be anger, there is going to be wrath. We would also say about God's wrath that not only is it loving, but it is just. It is right. It is good. You know, when a crime is committed here on earth and the person gets away with it, we don't look at that and say, oh, how loving. We look at that and we say, how unjust. There are cries all over the world right now for justice because wrongs go unpunished. Wrongs go unjustified. And we look at that and we say, that's wrong. There should be justice. And so God, if there was no wrath, he would not be loving. And if there was no wrath, he would not be just. But one amazing characteristic that we always have to remember about God's wrath is how slow it is. I mean, I asked before in here, if you, if you sent your son to rescue a group of people and they killed him, they humiliated him, beat him, betrayed him, and murdered him, and you had the power to bring about justice in that moment, 
how long would it take you to act? I mean, it would take me as long as it would take me to speak the words out of my mouth. But God waits and waits and waits. And a demonstration of how loving and how just his wrath is, he waits. This is what is in this cup that Jesus is saying, let this pass from me. It is the wrath of God against every horrifying act and heart of mankind for all time. So no, Jesus is not fretting about the physical death that awaits him. He is being faced with the reality of taking on the full wrath of God. God's righteous anger against every sin committed by every human for all time. And that is incomprehensible to us. I mean, imagine just judgment day and imagine being accountable for every sin that you have ever committed in your entire life. Just imagine standing before a righteous God and having to give an account for every sin that you've ever committed. And then receiving justice for it. Now multiply that by billions, both in number and in horror. Taking on the sin of all humanity, what that means as the Father looks at him, the darkest of dark that we could possibly imagine, receiving the wrath of the Father. And remember, Jesus is fully human. We cannot forget that. Yes, he is fully God, but he is fully man. And so he collapses and he prays. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And what we see here is an incredible example for us in how to pray in these moments of deep anguish and grief. What we see from Jesus is a gut-wrenchingly honest prayer that ends in submission to the Father's will. And what I want to do is look at those two elements of a heart of a honest, of a true prayer, of honesty before God and then submission. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Now, I will tell you that in my life, for years, my prayer life has been characterized by skipping to that last line. My, my mind just works in such a way, I, I tend to be, I'm, I'm the son of a, of a math teacher, and I just think about things in, in kind of those ways. And so in my mind, for so long, I would pray in this way, and I would hear about pouring out my requests to God and making them known. But in the back of my mind, I would always say, well, wait a second. If God is sovereign, isn't his will going to be done anyway? 
And by the way, isn't he better than I am? Isn't he, like, why would I even want to bother him with what I'm thinking? Because obviously what I'm thinking is, is less than what he's thinking. It's not as good as what he's thinking. His plans are better. And so I would just kind of skip. I would kind of go through the motions of all these other things and then just be like, but God, your will be done. God, please, just your will, whatever that is. And what I would say is that is a, a form of, of submission in prayer without the honesty. Like I just couldn't figure out. And what would happen then in me, in my prayer life, is I was never really anxious. I'm just not, I, I'm just kind of one of those people that's kind of like, well, whatever happens, happens in a lot of ways. And so um, I, with, with God, I'm just like, I've, I've never questioned God's goodness. I believe that he is good. I believe that he is sovereign. I've had other struggles with other doubts for sure. But, but with that, I've just kind of been like, God, whatever you want to do, like it's, it's best and it's ultimately for my good. And, and so whatever. But therein lies the problem. It's not the, your will be done, not my will. It is the whatever that causes the problems. That's not submission. That's resignation. And resignation is not good. Just being resigned to the fact, well, God, you're going to do whatever you're going to do anyway, and it's probably better, and I I won't necessarily understand it, but someday I will. So just, you do whatever you're going to do. I'm just going to go ahead and live my life. That is detached. And when you are detached from the vine, you become hardened and you die. If you pray in that way because you are resigned to him doing whatever he's going to do, you will become bitter and hardened. And here's the scary thing. Hardened prayer can look like peaceful prayer. You can look like a person who just trusts God's will and is just submitted to it when really what's going on is that you are hardened and detached. And so be careful of that. I'm speaking from experience. Be, be careful of being, seeing it as saying like, well, you know, I just let go and let God. I just, whatever God's going to do, he's going to do. I just, I just trust him. Be careful that that's not actually hiding, hiding A hardened, detached heart. Because a hardened, detached prayer is a dishonest prayer. And dishonest prayer separates you from God. It makes your relationship formal, more like an acquaintance. I had a friend from another country who, when he came over here, one of the things he struggled with was that we would greet one another with, How you doing? And he would stop when someone would say, hey, how you doing? He would say, oh, well, actually, this is going, and they would just walk right by. And it would just confuse him. Now, you and I know how you doing is like, hi, right? Like you, you say, hey, how's it going? You don't really expect like a full answer to that. And some of you have been caught where you're like, oh, that was the wrong greeting. I should not have greeted them with that. I should have greeted them with just a plain hello. So we don't really even want that. And there are people who can ask you how you are doing and you will give just the cliche response of just good, can't complain. But then there are people who can ask you and they will get the raw, real answer. Believe me, you want your prayer life to be like that. 
Without that raw honesty, heart issues are never dealt with. Sin never surfaces. The joy of seeing God answer your real prayers never comes to fruition. You keep intimacy with God at an arm's length. Because if I never get too close, if I never get too invested in this prayer, then I won't have to deal with any hurt that comes with not seeing it happen. And that is not the prayer of Jesus. Jesus is completely honest. He doesn't put on a brave face for the Father. He is completely transparent and he says, remove this cup from me. How can he pray that? Well, notice how he starts his prayer. Abba, Father. As many of you know, Abba is an affectionate, familiar, informal name for God. It's like a small child saying, Daddy. You don't use that word without familiarity and relationship that comes with deep honesty and vulnerability. And when Jesus comes to his father and he says, Abba, what he is demonstrating is he knows that this is a safe place. He knows that God's love for him, for the son, is unwavering. And he is free to pour out his requests. We looked at this last week in 1 Peter as Peter echoes this, where he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He's asking us, Peter's saying, you need to cast your anxieties onto him. And we look at that and we say, well, but we're not supposed to have those, right? We're not supposed to worry. Because we equate anxiety with worry. And so we're not supposed to. We think like, well, if I trusted God completely, I wouldn't have this anxiety. And this is where some of the struggle comes in. We look at Jesus and we say, well, he wasn't worried. But though I think we could quibble over definitions of words, collapsing in sorrow, and as other gospels put it, sweating drops of blood would certainly seem like anxiety. And so we are to cast our anxieties on him, to be honest and to say, God, this, this is what I want. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. Even when we know that those things are not even in line with scripture, even when we know that we shouldn't be thinking that way, we shouldn't be feeling that way, he wants us to pour that out. Imagine receiving a cancer diagnosis, which many in this room have received. And you know you're supposed to trust God and his plans. You're supposed to meet all trials with joy, but you don't feel joy. You're scared. Do your prayers show it? Do you say, God, I know this is how I am supposed to see this, but I don't see it that way right now. I don't understand why this is. I'm just scared. I don't want this cup. Please take it away from me. I don't want the road that you have given me to walk. And right now, I can't even pray your will be done because I'm afraid of what your will might actually be. It doesn't have to be cancer. I mean, just imagine anything right now that in your life that you are struggling with, that you're saying, okay, I, I don't know if I want to pour this out, but I don't even know if I can pray, God, your will be done because I'm afraid of that. 
And in those situations, we tend to either pray what we think we're supposed to pray or we don't pray at all. Because if I can't pray what I know I'm supposed to, then it's better not to pray. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. That's applicable to work acquaintances, not to your Father in heaven who sent his Son to die for you. You may wonder, like, well, what if I, what if I pray the wrong thing? What if I ask God for this, but that's not actually what he wants? Well, we'll get to that mostly, but can we just understand that, that God's not influenced unduly by your requests? Like you, you aren't going to bring a request to God that he's going to say, you know, I hadn't thought of that before. That's a really interesting point. You know what? You, you know, let's just try your way. Let's just see what happens. Who knows? That's not what he does. He knows what he's doing. He knows all things. All things are possible for him and he knows all things. And when you're in those moments where you realize that your prayers are raw, your emotions are there and you are scared or you are concerned or you read something in scripture that you struggle with, that you don't like, that you're confused by, or when you get a phone call that you don't want or you're waiting for an answer to something that terrifies you, will you be honest? What are you going to do? Tell yourself that you shouldn't feel that way? Deny that you feel that way? Or will you cast your anxieties upon your Father who cares for you? You pray, Abba, Father, do you want that kind of intimacy with your Father? If you do, then start with honest prayers. God, I know I'm not supposed to, but I hate my job. I want a different one. Or God, I don't want to walk this road that it seems like you're leading me down. Please change the road. I don't want it. God, I don't know if I want this relationship to be healed. I, I want to be mad at this person. I want to be bitter towards them. Those are honest prayers. And that's what he wants from us. But Jesus doesn't settle just for honest crying out to God. He says, not what I will, but what you will. And this has become that kind of tagline, almost like a, a separate prayer. Okay, so this is what I want, but whatever, God, your will be done. And we do that all the time, right? When we pray for healing, we pray for other things, especially uh, like if you're from a Baptistic background, we get really nervous about miraculous prayers. And so we have to make sure that we say, but God, your will be done. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of try to pray this really crazy thing, see if this actually happens, but, but I just want to make sure it's clear that I want God's will to be done, and it's probably not to do that thing. But that's not what he's telling us to pray. Jesus isn't tagging this on. He's not saying, here's what I want, but God, you just do whatever you think is best. They're actually connected. As he prays honestly, he prays 
trusting God completely, trusting the will of the Father, knowing that he's capable of all things and that he only does good. This is a major issue in, in the church and outside of the church. I cannot tell you how many times I have talked with people who say, God is not real. And I say, how do you know that? And they say, because I prayed for this thing and it never happened. I'm sure you've heard the same thing. I'm sure maybe you felt the same thing. Like prayer doesn't work. Like I, I prayed for my loved one to be healed and it didn't happen. I prayed to, to get this job and it didn't happen. I prayed that my marriage would be restored and it didn't happen. And often it's clouded out with like, I tried the whole God thing. I, I went to church, I did all the things and then I prayed and God still let me down. And we don't have a frame of reference to say, but maybe he just said no. I mean, what if that is his answer? What if when you're pouring out all of your honest prayers and saying, God, I don't want this. Please take this from me. What if his answer is no? Do you want his will or your own? Do you trust him or yourself? If you believe that God is sovereign, that he is perfectly good, then you have to believe that his ways are better than yours. And that's what your will be done implies. I mean, think about it. If you, if you ask your boss for a week of vacation and you think your boss is a big jerk, you're not going to say, hey, I want this week of vacation, but whatever you think is best is good. You're not going to say that because you don't trust them. Because you don't think that their ways are good. You don't think that they're wise. You think that they're just going to want to keep you there. And so you're not going to ask in that way. But with God to pray, my, not my will, but yours be done, implies that you believe that, that God is good and does what is best. That his will is always better. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Do you believe that God only gives good gifts to his children? It's a hard thing to believe. It's a hard thing to understand when, when suffering comes into our lives. But this, this isn't a passage saying that he treats us like a spoiled rich kid who just gets whatever they want. What he's saying is, I don't withhold any good thing from you. If you ask for any good thing, I will give it to you. And we can be confident in that because he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The question is just, do you believe that? Do you believe that you sometimes ask God for things that you are so convinced are for your good, but he's looking at it and saying, that is a serpent. That is a stone. That is not bread. Do you believe that? Or do you believe that you know better than God? That you are more kind than him? That you are more merciful than him? That you are more loving than him? That you are more just than him?
So here's the thing. You can pray as honestly as you want, but if you do not believe God is good and you do not really desire and trust his will, then your anxiety will not be cast upon him. It will be kept on your shoulders and it will grow. And the reason anxiety will grow is because your hope is on a specific answer that you have no control over. And that is the ultimate breeding ground for anxiety. I mean, what causes more anxiety than when you are not in control and you don't trust the one who is? But if you do, then you are free to cast those cares on him, to say, God, this is what my heart is. This is what I want. God, I trust you. I trust you with my anxieties. I trust you with what I'm concerned about. I trust you with whatever road you're going to lead me down. And that's the type of prayer we see in Jesus. Not a separate, detached prayer, but a prayer that in, with his whole heart pouring out everything and trusting in his Father. So when we combine those things, when they actually, they're not just two things. You're not saying, okay, I need time for honest prayer and now time for submitting prayer. But when we see them come together, this processing of pouring out all my anxieties and trusting God completely as he deals with those in me, when we do that, one of three things is bound to happen. One thing is that your circumstances will change. Sometimes God removes the thorn. Sometimes he heals the cancer. Sometimes he gives you a new opportunity. Sometimes he delivers you from a painful circumstance. Sometimes your world doesn't get turned upside down by that phone call. Sometimes it is a phone call of relief. Sometimes your loved one comes to Christ. And because you brought that to God, because you cried out to him and continued to pour out honest prayers to him, begging him for him to move and to act in that way, because you have done that, you will celebrate with him and your faith will be strengthened as you rejoice in his goodness and his kindness. And that is a beautiful thing. I can't even begin to imagine how many opportunities for praising God I have completely missed out on because I didn't have the courage to pray. You ever think about that? Things happen all around you all the time. God is working in lives all the time around you. And we miss the most obvious way to participate in that by praying and begging him to move and then rejoicing when it happens. So that sometimes is what, what will happen The second thing that can happen is your heart will change. You'll actually begin to desire the thing that he is leading you towards. I mean, sometimes sometimes that's because we confess sin. Like sometimes letting things out to God helps you see that you don't really believe the things that you're saying, the things that were kind of finding a home in your heart. I mean, this is important. Haven't you ever been in an argument or, or a conversation where you kind of stop And you have this moment of clarity where you actually hear the words that are coming out of your mouth. And you think, oh, I don't actually think that. I don't believe that. And now that I say that out loud, I realize how ridiculous that is. I don't don't think that at all. 
Listen, things sound so much more rational when you keep them to yourself. I mean, in your own mind, you are the most brilliant person in the world. Your logic is unflawed. Your, your thought process is perfect. Why doesn't everybody see everything the way that you clearly see it? And as long as that stays in our own minds, we are the most brilliant person in our own mind. But when you let it out, something happens where now you see it from a different angle. And that even helps with processing it with other people. But imagine how much more so than with the God whose spirit dwells inside of you. This is why I think it's important to pray out loud even when you're by yourself. Like you don't have to. Like that's not, it's not the only way God hears your prayers. But there's something powerful to praying out loud even when you're by yourself. Because now as the Holy Spirit starts to, to point at things and be like, did you hear what you just said? can be, you can respond. I mean, so many times I have prayed and had the Holy Spirit convict me in mid-prayer of something that was going on in my heart. Maybe I realized that the thing I was pursuing was bad for me or that it was taking priority over God or his people or revealing my self-centeredness or my pride or my lack of love. Whatever the case is, when you pray in this way, you open the door for the Holy Spirit to do wonderful work in your heart and his kindness leads you to repentance and you're able to say, God, forgive me. I don't, I don't want this thing. Thank you for showing me that I don't actually want that. And sometimes it's not even sin issues. Sometimes it's just a desire that you just have two good options like, that are, are fine, but you just want this thing and there's, there's reasons you want it, but God's showing you and he's wooing you over to this way. I, I, every big transition Lauren and I have had, this has happened. Whereas we have prayed and we prayed to be connected to him and not prayed necessarily about all the other circumstances, but just saying, Jesus, we want more of you. Slowly but surely he has shaped our hearts around the thing that he wants us to do. And it's a wonderful thing. Listen to me. Don't hold on to the things that you think you want so much that you aren't willing to be shown that his ways are better, that he is good. We can be so, we can hold on to this thing so much that we want that we miss the good gift that he is offering us. But there is a final thing. This is what I want to close with. Sometimes he gives you the thing that you desire and that you ask for because he is a good father. Sometimes he shapes your heart around this other thing and sometimes he will reveal that the hard road is the road you are going to walk. And this is what happens with Jesus. It also happens with Paul and Peter and any number of other Christ followers. And he will give you grace to walk it. Paul says famously in 2 Corinthians, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Notice Paul doesn't say in that prayer, hey, turns out this thorn was amazing. I really enjoyed it. Like there's debate over was this thorn like a a person that was pestering him and following him around or was this a physical ailment? Whatever you believe about what that is, what we can see from this passage is Paul isn't saying that thorn turned out to be awesome. That dude that was harassing me all the time, he and I became best buddies. We vacationed together. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that God said, I'm not going to remove this thorn because I'm going to demonstrate my power through your weakness. And so then that leads Paul to be content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Content with them. Because that is when the strength of God has been made known. Sometimes when you pray this prayer, the road that he is putting you on is not the one you would ever choose or want. It's not two good options. When my When my mom was diagnosed with cancer, I prayed for her to be healed. I've prayed for many people to be healed. And I'm not going to go into all these details, but there have been times where I've seen God miraculously heal people. I knew he was capable. I had seen him do it. I believed that he could do it. And I remember praying and begging God and saying, God, I don't want my mom to die from cancer. I don't want this cup. Please take this away. And in my crying out to God, he gently let me know that this was not going to be taken away. That this was the road that my family was going to walk. And I was left with peace. It was a tear-soaked grieving peace. But it was peace. And it didn't come immediately, by the way. It wasn't like first diagnosis, here we go, praying for healing. What's that, God? Nope, not going to happen. All right. I'm at peace. It took time. And by the way, it didn't come immediately for Jesus either. Look at verse 39. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. Think about that. He prayed, God, take this cup from me. Let this pass from me. Not my will, but your will be done. And he walks away, and then he comes back, and he prays the same thing again. Jesus does that. So we may have to also. But if your desire is to glorify God with your life, to make the power of God, in grace of Jesus known, then honest prayer will lead to peace and contentment and joy regardless of the circumstances because he is a good father. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and 
our mind, in your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, here's this idea. Don't hold these anxieties on yourself. Don't be anxious about those things. Give them to God. Like, that's, the, that's the antidote to carrying these anxieties on yourself. In prayer and supplication make, and thanksgiving, make your request known to God. So Jesus prays this prayer and he gets the message. He will walk the road set before him. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But not begrudgingly, not resigned, but with joy. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so he comes out to the disciples who are still sleeping, which we will deal with next week. And he says, it is time. And he walks the road in front of him. So I'm going to have the worship team come up. And during this response time, these are the questions that I would love for you to ask in these moments. What do you need to pray honestly about? What do you, as, as, as we've gone through this, what has popped into your head as something that you have kept God at an arm's distance because you don't, you're afraid. You don't know what to ask for. You're afraid of what emotions that might bring up. What do you need to pray honestly about? If you are in Christ Jesus, then you approach him as your father who loves you and gave himself up for you. I would encourage you then to pray boldly and honestly, casting all your anxieties on him. And even as you sing this response, listen to the Holy Spirit as you do that. Listen to him. He is good. Listen for him to point out sin in your heart and confess and repent of that sin. Listen to him woo you to whatever the thing is that you think you don't want or you're afraid of. Or listen to him give you courage and strength and grace to walk the road that he has given you. He is perfectly good. All things are possible for him. And if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, he is your Abba, your Father, Let's pray. Lord, help us to pray how you have called us to pray. Help us to honestly pour out our hearts to you and in so doing, help us to then listen to you. Listen to the Spirit. Listen to your word. Let it ring in our hearts and our minds and let it bring comfort and relief as our anxieties are cast upon you. And as our trust in you deepens, please guard our hearts from the evil one who would fill our hearts and our minds with lies. But we know the truth, Father. You are a good Father. You are sovereign over all things. You sent your Son so that we might have life and have it abundant so that we might be your sons and daughters. You have promised to renew us day by day, and you have promised us that, Lord Jesus, you are coming again. 
Father, you did not withhold your own son. What could we possibly imagine that you would withhold from us? That is truth. I pray that we would know that and believe it and love it this morning. Amen.